Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I'm, I'm seriously, seriously struggling with this, with getting this one started. So I think instead of doing all the other stuff that I was going to talk about, all the other ideas that I have on my mind about the nature of power and leadership and organization and the illusion that all of those things are, instead I'm just going to tell a story because it's so much easier. It's so much easier. And there's several stories that I've, I've wanted to tell. There's several ideas that I've had in my mind, but there's one in particular that that comes to mind, and, and it combines with, I guess, a story that I have had had recently. And come to think of it, now that I'm actually just deciding to tell a story, boy, do I have quite the story. It starts with a dream that I had about three weeks ago. Let me set the picture. The waves are lapping up on a desert shore as the few survivors of a crashed ship are coming up from the water. Their wreckage is scattered around them and the cargo is completely destroyed. The weather has thankfully changed from what it was and their escape is now complete. But where have they found themselves? What is this strange new world into which they have been cast. It looks familiar, and yet there's definitely a hint of it that is, that is, well, frankly, much more desirable than the place that they'd left. For one, this place isn't completely destroyed. As they come up onto the shore, they begin to look around and count their number. A surprisingly large number of them have actually survived, but They've realized, as they look at one another, that they really will not find strength in in unity immediately. There is no leader amongst them. There is no one to to pull them in, in a singular direction as their captain went down with his ship. And so here they are, stranded and alone together. Families, yes, but specifically men of war. And as they look around, they begin to see paths leading into the interior of this island. And looking further down the coastline, they do see some small piers and huts that might be uh, utilized by the local population. And so consequently, they, they begin to spread out looking for information, looking to, to discover what they can about the local populace. They all agree to come together in the evening and share their information and hopefully identify someone to lead them. As they go out, each one of them discovers the same story. As they, they go to seek out their adventure on the coastline, they go to the pier, and a man who's family had been in fishing back home, sees his own home, except slightly less worn, slightly less damaged. But the architectural style cannot be confused. It is as though he, were traveled, he had traveled back to his youth, 
and was suddenly welcomed back into his father's home. Knocking on the door, he finds there a hardy young man with his family behind him, but no sword drawn, no, no concern in his, in his face, I simply sees a traveler. Concern quickly arises when he notices, when the, the man notices that this visitor is not familiar to him and is strangely garbed and speaks a very strange dialect, though it is familiar. It is the same tongue, but it is a slightly, slightly different variant. But the coat of arms on his chest most certainly looks familiar. The fisherman has seen this coat of arms, and in fact, he is put at ease when he sees it, because he notices that it is the symbol of his liege lord, or at least the one who, whose armies first colonized the island where he now lives. The conversation is relatively brief, as they learn the history of the island and the history of this, this farmer in his hut. He's been relatively unaffected by the world at large and has simply been living out his life as best he can. He continues about it, and he goes about uh, his daily life. There are some concerns in the center of the island as he's a little bit worried about the direction of, of his own local leadership, but all things considered, he's, he's not too worried, and he's still able to make a good living and believes that his children will have a good future. The two parties leave on amiable terms and promise to come together before the uh, before they leave forever, just to, at the very least, uh, share more stories. But, but for now, the journey must go on. He returns to the beachhead to await the others. The others go in a short ways into the island, and they find... After a short, uh, let's say two-hour walk, right? somewhat inland, they find a village. And this village bears all of the traditional hallmarks of their own. And what's so surprising is they see the same thing that the others saw. A people much like their own, who, who bear similar traits, and yet are less weathered, less worn less rough. And they have leadership, but they are generally un, unled. They are generally on their own and, and wild, as colonists can tend to become. Um, they simply survive, and they focus not on the troubles and cares of the world outside. And they share a similar experience, a brief moment of fear between the two of them that is alleviated when they realize their common culture. And these men return to the beachhead. And as they compare their stories, they come to the dreadful conclusion that this people is in the same position that theirs was before the calamity that forced them to leave had struck it. And so they must now prepare themselves to equip this people to endure the hardships they are unaware of because they have not seen the world beyond their horizons.
this dream isn't my own dream. It's, it's a dream that effectively comes from, well, it's similar to the tale of Numenor in The Lord of the Rings. Well, not The Lord of the Rings specifically, but in Tolkien's uh, anthology, Numenor, the great shining island of man, where those of, of uh, well, frankly, elvish descent, the men whose, whose blood carries the blood of the immortals, dwelt in peace and relative harmony, where they, they learned great arts and mastered beautiful things. They made great ships to sail far and colonized the, the world of their less uh, immortal brothers, building great cities there, building townships, but nothing to rival their home. And yet, in their wars against the evils of the world, they welcomed in a darkness in their own pride, they, they tried to capture it and set it to their own wills. And when it spoke wisdom, objective wisdom to them, they listened. And as it built trust in their ears, as the deceiver spoke, and what he spoke seemed to be wisdom, they continued to listen to him and continued to trust him. Until that day when he began to twist the words that he was speaking. And yet, because of the trust that they had placed in him, it seemed not that he was the twisted one, but rather that the previous wisdom, the truth itself, was twisted. And, and, and the men of Numenor, the men of Numenor followed Sauron the deceiver's will and eventually became a quite dark and evil people, offering human sacrifice on the pinnacles of their mountains and preparing to go to war against the few the few and yet firm decrees of their overlords the eldar or no the valar the valar ah you gotta get my tolkien mythology right but there were some who left some who fled and taking with them a, a, a sapling of the royal tree they went to Middle-earth. They fled for those, well, long-lost colonies, those places where they had once settled when their, when their grandeur was greater and their piety more severe. And they, uh, and they founded, founded there a nation of, of men, of great men, to, to rule over their less great brethren, and provide them some wisdom. For Sauron the deceiver did not remain in the ashes of Numenor, but fled to Middle-earth to take for himself a mighty tower and there to continue torturing and deceiving mankind. So this is all the background for the Lord of the Rings. Right? These men are the heritage of the men of Gondor, but also the direct bloodline flows through Aragorn himself. A man who becomes the king again, who reunites the kingdoms, who restores some of the splendor of the ancient days, but nothing to rival the grandeur of Numenor. 
nothing to rival it at all. But the men who came, they knew the danger. The men, the men who fled Numenor and came to Middle-earth, they knew the danger that was behind them. And they, they prepared those who did not know for such a, such a fight. And those who were there, once they were informed, were, were better able to resist than even the ones that they had fled from, that the, that the men of Numenor, even the Numenorians were not as well prepared for Sauron as the men who the Numenorians equipped. And so that's kind of the idea that I'm, I was wrestling with in this, in this dream, in this thought, is, well, what does that mean? What does that mean now? And so this comes, in here now comes the other part of the story. I've been getting uh, pretty heavily involved. I'm actually the, the lay leader of a men's organization called the Sons of Solomon. And this authority simply came because I volunteered. I, it sounded like a good idea to me, and I thought, hey, you know what? I can probably help, so why not? Turns out I've, I've had quite a bit to do, and I've been very well occupied, and, and boy, the blessing that it has given to me. Um, it has been just an absolutely wonderful experience to, to get to know so many good, pious Christian men, uh, to encourage them and equip them to uh, be good fathers for their families and their communities and their churches, so as to raise their sons to do the same, uh, that 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 anointing to a certain extent uh, that I have received from a man with more authority than I, more more gravitas than I, right? Where a mentor came to me and said, "Yes, you're going to do this," and so I said, "Thank you. Sure, I'll do it." Um, that whole process of, of actually being given the, the go-ahead to lead men has been eye-opening, severely eye-opening, because it undermined the idea that, that I actually needed to be authorized for any of this, that, that authorization is simply everybody agreeing. So for things that don't exist yet, everybody does agree because it's nothing, nobody exists to disagree. If you want to build a group, you have full authority to try. And when you find out that somebody else has built it, suddenly then you still have the authority to build your own, but in, or, in as regards their group, your authority is less. So if you want to go out and build something in your community, if you want to go start something in your church, there is an authority there, and that would be your pastor. If you want to build something in your community, um, there, there may be some authorities there, and that would be your government, saying, hey, don't you know, start a big campfire in the middle of the park. But the formalization of authority that we conceive of in our youth and, and that we, we, we seem to carry with us as the Internet continues to, to provide the illusion of power, that, that dream of authority being hidden behind multiple vectors and layers of responsibility and and checklists is is ridiculous it's a ridiculous dream and it is it is not congruent with reality the truth is if you see some good to do go do it 
because there are people who need your help. Now, part of this is the dream, though. Part of this was, for me, has been the realization that I have come from an environment where I've been forced to confront much. I've seen much. I've I've dreamed much, but I've come to learn much as well from simply the the experiences that I've been so blessed as to have. I've talked about Antifa on this podcast before and getting to, to interact with those those people um, in some very interesting ways. Well, a lot of people for, for a lot of people that's a myth. That's a story that's far off. For me that's personal. That is that is completely personal because it has to do with my well-being. And so that's why I left. <laughs> that's one of the reasons I left. I decided not to be with them anymore because I, I realized that was not a good idea. But but I know that is what people are capable of. For a lot of people, this idea that anybody could storm the Capitol. Well, first of all, leftists already did it during the Kavanaugh hearings. So I don't want to hear anybody saying, oh my gosh, look at all the insurrection. You didn't care when the, when the leftists did it. Stop caring about the right. The only reason you're worried about the right is because they were halfway decently competent at it. And that actually worries you. Because you don't mind the leftists, do you? You really don't mind. Anybody who's yelling about this really didn't mind it when the leftists took over because they weren't worried. And I would argue for two reasons. First of all, because they knew that there wasn't going to be any lasting effect. And second of all, because they didn't actually think that they were a problem. And, well, I guess third of all, because they knew that the leftists had already got all the positions of power. So it was a formal declaration of authority, not a resistance against the, the formal authorities. Um, there, there's, there's, there's some underlying power politics going on there. But, but don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when you see people shot in the streets. Don't be surprised when you see chaos. I'm not saying this as this is the way life should be. I'm telling you that I've stopped being surprised by what happens because what happens is. And if, you're, if your worldview is incapable of, is not incapable, if your worldview struggles with the way things are, are or if you find yourself constantly fascinated by the movements of the political realm or the social realm or the economic realm, well, consider that as your warning that your worldview is incomplete. As a warning that you don't have the full picture. You can't see beyond the limits of your own island. Find somebody then who's been out there who knows the more complicated truth of exactly how complicated everything is. And I'm not saying try and learn it all for yourself. What I'm saying is, Find somebody you trust um, and then recognize that you really can't trust them either and figure out which, what's worth investing in. Figure out what's not going to move. Figure out what's not going to attack you. Figure out what's going to stay put. Listen to those who come from, from distant lands who, who you can trust. Listen to those who, who tell you, the, who warn you of what's to come. But don't be enticed by fear, because fear will lead you to despair. Either, well, okay, fear will either lead you to despair or 
to constant worry when that's exactly the opposite of what a good preparation will do. A good king doesn't cause his, his subjects either to fear or to worry, but rather gives them the confidence to know that while defending the nation will be hard, it will succeed. Because it is worth fighting and dying for what is good. So find what's good. Find what is good and hold on to it. Permit yourself to be duly equipped for what comes, knowing that those who are on your side are greater than those who are against you, that the powers and principalities of the world are only doing what God wants, and that everything that they try will be subject to what he wants. Consequently, you need not fear or worry. You don't need to constantly stay in touch with everything going on. You don't need to think that every little movement of the world matters because, frankly, we've got about 20 years before anything serious happens anyway. What we're seeing right now is simply the beginning. It will all ramp up till then. So my recommendation that I'm going to struggle to follow Give it 20 years. Take 20 years and focus on what matters. And between now and then, let it wash off your back. Recognize that there will be hardship. Recognize there will be suffering. Recognize that there will be challenges. And find people who are equipped to prepare you for what's to come. And listen to them. And take what they say to heart. But do not, do not enter emergency mode. Because you can't, stay, you can't stay in emergency mode for 20 years, and you can't build a society off of emergency mode. Panic. It's not going to work. So consider yourself one of two people. If you have the information and the knowledge, if you have the, the foresight to, to see what's going to happen, in the next 20 years by the movements of, of philosophies and the slow, well, godless encroachment of false theology you know, into the, the average everyday person's world, well, if you, if you can predict where that's going, help your brothers who can't. Find them and encourage them. And if, you're, if you don't, find the ones who can give you something and whichever one you are, start planting farms. The first thing you got to do if a whole bunch of people showed up on your, on your little island is you got to feed them. And if you've got invaders coming in 20 years, well, you'd best get an economy that can survive the war that's to come. You'd best get a culture that can survive it. You'd best get a world that can survive it. And you can't make that transition overnight and make it last. So take your time. Be patient, but vigilant all the same. You know, it sounds hard. It is hard. It's not going to be easy. And I know I haven't codified it that clearly either. But... It is going to be the only thing that is worth doing 
because trying to sit back and pretend that it's not real is simply going to have everything you do get destroyed. And pretending that everything matters is simply going to wear you out and make nothing that you ever do worth keeping for the future civilizations. But if you simply focus on what is good, and you do that. Ecclesiastes. It's a good book. That's about all I got for today. Hopefully these ramblings are less, uh, well, are not uh, insufficiently chaotic. And so I hope that the day that you have is tranquil and fulfilling, that you are able to hold your head out of the muck and, and yet get your hands dirty. Because it's, it's a good balance between the two, and, and the balance is necessary, and the balance is good. So do not be afraid, and do not be naive. Do not be surprised when wicked men do wicked things. And do not be surprised when the people who know the consequences of evil come to, to, to tell you to avoid it. That's about it. I'll see you next time.